All right, well, we're in for a treat today, I hope. <laughs> for those of you who are keeping track, we're in the middle of a series I'm calling Forbidden Earnest Homes. And you might be wondering, okay, so what, what's the forbidden part? Well, in 1926, Ernest Holmes um, issued the first Science of Mind textbook, the, the sort of thing that we think of as, you know, he being the founder of our movement, as so, sort of like the, I mean, it's not the Bible, obviously, but, but it's the core teachings, anyway, of the Science of Mind. About 20 years later, 1938, completely rewritten. And I would say a good hundred pages of it <laughs> fell onto the cutting room floor. So I'm calling it Forbidden Earnest Homes because we're actually going to be taking a look at the hundred or so pages that didn't make it into the revise. And I think that some of this was done for political reasons. Some of it was done to make the text uh, more, perhaps, easier to read. But I know, absolutely, without a doubt, that today's subject of psychic phenomenon was removed from that textbook absolutely on purpose because it was probably seen to be entering into areas that no sane person in a church would talk about. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and I even brought a prop today. So, uh, so a bit of. Uh, yeah, exactly. A bit of trivia. Now, probably everyone in the room knows what this is, right? A, a Ouija board. Okay. Do, do, does anyone know what this part of it's called, though? Oh my gosh, all right, we do. We have some people who, who know a planchette when they see it. And believe it or not, the planchette precedes the Ouija board by hundreds and hundreds of years. The Ouija board itself patented and copyrighted in 1890. A hugely, hugely popular item sold in the early part of the last century. But the planchette has been around since ancient times. Now, planchette, of course, is a French word, and that word came about in the early part of the 18th century in France, but its predecessor from ancient China. And it, and it is believed and, and to some extent documented that 1,100 years before the birth of the Common Era, People in China were using a planchette to do automatic writing, and some of the ancient Chinese religious scriptures were written, or, or in modern parlance, we'd probably say channeled, using a planchette. All right. Now, the reason I bring this up, other than I just love sharing a good story, but the reason I bring this up is this is absolutely what was going on at the very beginning of the last century. In the early 1900s, there was a movement called spiritualism in the United States that was hugely popular. The, the, uh, the Ouija board itself, uh, you know, was patented because they were making hundreds of thousands of dollars selling them. There were mediums and, and, uh, and fortune tellers that were hugely popular. I, I, th I was telling someone over the break from the last sermon, you know, it's kind of like the Oprah phenomenon. And they were sort of looking at me. And I'm going, well, no, think about it. Uh, there's a huge degree of spirituality in what is going on in Oprah's world, right? But also, it's entertainment. 
And the same thing was going on in the spiritualism movement in the United States uh, right around the, uh, the, birth, the beginning of the, the 1900s. Uh, nearly everyone, especially in upper and middle classes, you, you know, in the same way that you today might invite the minister over to dinner, they were inviting a medium over to dinner. And hopefully there'd be a seance after dinner. And the founder of the Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes, absolutely participated in some of these seances, had spiritual readings, a lot of what today we think of as mystical or new age or uh, or what we would think of as uh, um, you know automatic writing and things like that he investigated them all and why I think it's worth talking about today I mean one attitude would be well they cut it out of the later version and that's a good thing <laughs> because of course you know anytime you bring up ideas that really can't be explored in any concrete way you know, it's open for interpretation, and people are saying, well, what, you know, why would that belong in a spiritual teaching? Um, I want to start today by doing uh, an initial reading from here, which I think absolutely typifies what was going on in 1926. He says, it is taken for granted that the average person of today is more or less acquainted with the facts concerning psychic phenomenon. It would be useless in a course such as this to attempt any exhaustive research work because it's already been done. There is within man a power that can communicate without the tongue, hear without the ear, see without the eye, talk without the mouth, move ponderable objects, and perform many other feats that are usually connected only with our physical environment. All of these facts have been completely proven... And it is no longer necessary to produce evidence to, to substantiate these claims. Well, now some of you are just like squirming in your chairs, right? Because uh, this was absolutely taken out of the subsequent editions of this book and felt, you know, utterly inflammable. But because, of course, in the 1930s, there was a huge movement of debunking some of these mediums that were there just to try to get money out of people. But what I think was very interesting is later in his life, Ernest really defended his experiences during that time, saying, you know, I don't think there was a single medium or, or a, a single, you know, encounter of this sort that I had that really I thought was phony. He really believed that what was going on was real. Ah, but now let me explain the real part, because it's not what you think. Before we talk about psychic phenomena, we really need to talk about this idea of the universal mind. And I, I loved Starr's uh, uh, invocation today because really there is nothing outside the purview, nothing outside the power, nothing outside the supreme intelligence that we call God, right? Anything that we can conceive of and a whole lot of things we can't conceive of are still within the domain, still held within the concept of God as we understand it. And because of this, Ernest Holmes postulated that this universal mind surely would also contain the record of everything that ever happened, everything that was ever thought, everything that was ever imagined, the, the hopes, the feelings, the intentions, everything that a person on the planet has ever encountered, thought, or been, or done, or hoped for, would, of course, be recorded in this universal mind. This was his idea of, well, how can, how can something be outside of God? If it was thought of, if it was experienced, if it was witnessed, of course, it's within the mind of God itself. 
All right, so that's the idea of the universal mind. Uh, you might think of it as a, a tape recorder or a video recorder even that records everything that has ever happened as well as our thoughts around them and our impressions of them and our emotional reactions to them. I mean everything. It sort of blows the idea of God into something even bigger than what we're used to thinking of. This is Ernest Holmes' idea of the universal mind. And what he says, of course, is we're right dab smack in the middle of it. Our little mind, you know, the mind that is Larry, is right there in the middle of the universal mind. And to think that it has hard edges, right? To think that my mind discreetly stops here and, and like stars, you know, is very distinct, very different. Obviously a class down in Milwaukee where she lives, right? You know, the idea that somehow our minds are completely separate with overlap. He says, well, this, this is bogus. And I think anyone here who has ever had that experience, especially with a loved one or a family member of, oh my God, I was just going to call you. Do you know what I mean? Or one of those thoughts of, I just had to call you because I know something, I'm getting the shivers as I'm saying this because I had an experience myself recently where I called someone, it just felt like I needed to call them. And they were right in the middle of a crisis. There are things, as Shakespeare would say, in heaven and earth that are not explainable by our current philosophies. And Ernest Holmes' point is that it's still part of God. It's still part of that universal mind, and we have access to it. There isn't a hard edge where I end and, and star begins. And there isn't a hard edge between what is happening today and what happened to last week either. If it's all recorded in the mind of God, if it truly is all God, everything that has ever happened, and if I'm part of that, why would we be so narrow as to think that I can never understand some of the other wisdom of the ages? Why, why would I think that I can never be in touch with other people's feelings? And, 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 you know, in a very conversational way, we support this. We talk about people that are empathic. We, we talk about people that just, just sort of know what I'm thinking. You know, even, even if I'm not saying a word, you know, some people will just know how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. Well, of course, this is our own ability to tap into the universal mind beyond our own little limited borders of it. Okay, so, so our individual mind, universal mind, but no hard edges, all right? Are, are we vaguely clear on that? All right, so then he goes into this chapter of the book that was cut in a way of explaining nearly all of what today we consider psychic experiences. And he classifies these in two main types. First of all, he talks about the actual real pictures of things happened. So if, much like a movie camera, everything that ever happened is playing out in this universal mind, then why would it be impossible or why would it be unlikely for a medium or, or perhaps someone who's practiced this a little more than you and I have to recall what some of those images are? And so many of the psychic phenomenons that, that we think of, uh, you know, maybe we go to a, a fortune teller and they talk about a, a vision of a woman standing in the room that is someone's mother, and then questions are asked back and forth. Why would we not think, rather than that this is some disembodied spirit, 
that really it's the image from my own mind of what my own mother looks like. Do you know what I mean? It's present in the mind of God through my mind, as well as the happenings of my own mother's life. So why would I be surprised or why would I think it's like a ghost when simply the fortune teller or myself or, or anyone can tap into those visions that existed at one point in time in that mind of God. The other place that Ernest Holmes says that psychic, mo- uh, psychic phenomena can easily be explained are simply the ideas and imaginings of the people that are right in the room. If we say that everything is mind and everything is powerful, you know, one of the main lessons in the science of mind is that thoughts are things and that they express physically out in the world. So if I'm having a very strong thought of maybe someone that I love, or maybe that something should happen, why would I think it wouldn't happen? Why would I think that it's dependent upon a poltergeist or a, you know, some disembodied soul or something like that? All right, now I can tell that a few of you are out there going, all right, this is getting just stranger by the minute. But I think Ernest Holmes' point here was that it is through the universal mind, not through, uh, you know, not through disembodied. I mean, he really wanted to throw out this idea that somehow when, when people die, there's this purgatory that people are stuck in and, and, you know, struggling to find the light or, you know, we've popularized this to a great degree in movies. And, you know, I remember the movie with Demi Moore and, and uh, Patrick Swayze ghost and things like that. You know, we've kind of romanticized and, and popularized this. And I think what's uh, unique and interesting about Ernest Holmes is to him, this is a very simple explanation involved, and it's the power of our own minds. And it's the power of the universal mind to have captured some of these pictures and images from the past that we can tap into. So another short reading here on the idea of psychic phenomenon. He says, Accordingly, since the universal mind is a unit and is individual, indivisible, all these pictures really exist at any and every point within it. We may contact anything that was in the universal mind at any point because the whole of it is available to us. Consequently, we may contact at the point of our own subjective mind every incident that ever transpired on this planet. So his belief is the person with the right training, training the right sensitivity, the right, you know, uh, I, I mean, in, again, in modern terms, we talk about people with a, with a high degree of intuition, What he's talking about is that various people at certain levels of their own consciousness can simply plug into and tap some of these things that are recorded in what he calls the universal mind. All right, so where do we want to go with this? Well, first of all, I do want to just head on Lynn saying, let's go for the hills. (laughs) I do want to right head on address his idea of ghosts because he's real clear that our popular idea of ghost is just for the theatrical. He really is quite... Well, in fact, let me, re, let me read one more short paragraph from in here because it explains exactly what he thinks of in terms of ghosts. He says, We are all surrounded by mental pictures, and a good psychic can see these pictures clairvoyantly and read our thoughts telepathically. A good medium has the ability, more or less clearly, to bring pictures and thoughts from all time to the surface and objectify them. But it does not follow that he is communicating with the people whose pictures he sees. Right? 
So, so if the communication, if you will, that's taking part, you know, seems lively, it's lively right up here. It's lively in our own minds. It's lively in the people that are at the seance. And so when he talks later in the chapter about a seance, he's really saying, well, of course, everything that happened that here was real, and it was created by the people in the room making it real. And, and I think that is the, the sweet thing about this part of the chapter that, that was removed was it's back to the basics of science of mind. Our creative power of our mind is capable of anything and everything. And the accumulated creative power of all of our minds over time has created a rich and glorious palette of life for which we can conjure up. <laughs> so that is the main point, I think, of this chapter for me. And if I even wanted to distill it further down into what we teach today in the science of mind, like in our foundations class, I would say he's simply talking about the law of oneness. God is all there is. God is everything in the universe, and everything in the universe is imbued with God. Everything that is, everything that was, everything that was taught, everything that was imagined, everything that happened, all of it is present in the universal mind of God. And this universal mind in which we live and breathe and co-create, we have our own little spot in it, and we have the power to observe we have the power to interact with things greater than our own little tiny part. And I think all of us today have had occasions one time or another, whether we called it a little bit spooky or whether we said that our intuition was a little heightened, whether we uh, recognized it as almost a form of tele 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 telepathy, I don't know. But I bet nearly everyone in this room has had an experience where we were encountering something more than just the confines of our own mind. And that, he said, is all that is working in this area that we call psychic phenomena today. So I want to close with a quote and a prayer. Last quote from this chapter, he says, this is 1926, Ernest Holmes, Science of Mind. He says, we will take up the subject excuse me, we will take up the study of this subject just as we would approach the study of any other physical law with an open mind, without superstition, and free from any sense of the unnatural. Nature is always natural, and only those things are mysteries which we do not yet understand. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. You can call it universal mind. You can call it God. You can call it all there is. What I know about this, this blessing, what I know about this power and presence is that it is one. It is individual, indivisible. There is not God and something else. There is only and ever was only one God. And I recognize within this my own part, that as God is everywhere present, that it also means me, that it also means the people in this room, that each of us has our own uh, corner, our own area, our own sphere of influence within the universal mind. I know it without question. And so for this week and beyond, I know that there's the ability of the folks in this room to understand their own place within the universe, to tap into their own senses of the divine, whether it be intuition, whether it be just a, a greater sense of who each person is. There is a connection between us and among us, and part of God. 
It is simply the truth of God's nature to make the connections between people. And I am grateful for this. I'm grateful for the, the creation that God has um, made right here in this room as the, the people in it, the connections between us. Grateful for life itself. And so with a lot of love, I simply let it be. And together we say, and so it is. So thank you very much. <laughs> I hope you had a little bit of fun with the Ouija board today.